listening to CITR FM 101.9, right out here at the university on unceded Musqueam land, and also on the computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show, coming right up with Gavin Walker.
We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show, and this is the uh, Labor Day edition, so we hope that everybody had a a really nice holiday. And uh, now it's, of course, uh, tomorrow. It's back to the grind, back to school, back to work, and uh, the whole fall season coming up. Very interesting. And also, I think that we're going to have a return after um, kind of a transition day in the middle of the week, we're going to have a return to beautiful sunny weather, as far as I uh, can gather, um, checking out the uh, long-range forecast. And that's going to happen this week. But we'll talk about that later. What we're really going to talk about this evening, and he will be heavily featured on our show, is a gentleman... Oh, I should introduce myself, too. Uh, My name is Gavin Walker. And... Our jazz feature tonight features a gentleman who, without a doubt, is one of the most important living musicians in jazz. He virtually defined the modern tenor saxophone concept and is a very philosophical and very beautiful human being who uh, went through all kinds of different uh, early youthful uh, changes, including youthful mistakes and so on and so forth, and emerged as one of the most authoritative voices of the tenor saxophone. He's also a very spiritual person. He's taken, uh, over the years, he's taken sabbaticals uh, away from active playing. Uh, there was one sabbatical he took in the late 60s where he went to Japan and uh, lived in a temple. Um, he spent time in India studying with uh, Sufi masters that sort of thing, and of course return to music, uh, refreshed and uh, full of new ideas and all that kind of stuff. His most famous sabbatical was um, when he, at the height of his fame in 1959, he decided that he didn't deserve this fame. He didn't deserve this influence. He, did, he felt that he wasn't good enough and by his own standards, and he retired from music, um, took some time off. Uh, his, he had just married a, a lovely lady, uh, um, Lucille, uh, who had a very good job. So she said, Sonny, uh, if you have to stop, I can, I, can support, uh, I can support us, which she did. And Sonny, of course, was, was extremely grateful um, for that because he was able to take time off. He wanted to uh, rid himself of, um, by that time, he, he, had, he had already um, uh, done uh, uh, heavy drugs. And, of course, he, he, uh, he stopped all that by himself. But he, uh, he smoked at the time, smoked cigarettes, and um, he liked to uh, occasionally have a drink. And he decided that he didn't want to do those things. And then he wanted to um, reacquaint himself with uh, health and, and uh, eating properly and exercise and all this kind of stuff. So he did all that. But the main thing that he did, he wanted to practice his horn, practice day after day after day. Now, in their small apartment, he couldn't do that. But he found a place where he could practice, and that was on the Williamsburg Bridge. And he went out every day and every night onto the bridge and played. 
And the Williamsburg Bridge is right next door to the Brooklyn Bridge, which is very busy, but there was hardly anybody on the Williamsburg Bridge. There's more, more or less people walking there. So he, was, he didn't have a lot of noise to deal with, and um, he didn't have people coming up and staring at him and all this, all this kind of stuff. But he did have his friends come along and practice with him, people like John Coltrane, uh, people like George Braith, people like J.R. Monterose. Uh, some of the great uh, uh, saxophone players that were living in New York. And they would practice along with Sonny. And, of course, that was good for him and good for them um, and and that sort of thing. So what we're talking about, and I, I haven't mentioned his name yet, his name, Theodore Walter Rollins. And he was born 85 years ago today in New York City, the youngest son of a West Indian uh, family who had emigrated from uh, from the Caribbean, and of course, at a very young age, he got a nickname, and that's Sonny, and he became known as Sonny Rollins, Sonny Rollins, and that's going to be the person who we're dealing with on the jazz feature, Sonny Rollins, and. The interesting thing about Sonny and, and, and his life, of course, uh, a lot of it is available on the Internet, um, biographies, there are books uh, on his life. And there's also a really interesting uh, series of interviews with Sonny um, that is produced by a good friend of mine by the name of Brett Primack. And all those, all those YouTube videos are available on iTunes. And all you have to do is, is, uh, is Google them and bring them up. And um, Sonny Rollins is talking about his peers. He's talking about Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk, Max Roach, Jackie McLean, Charlie Parker, all the people that he knew and w- was intimately associated with, plus his philosophy of life and, uh, and so on. Sonny Rollins is, is an unbelievable. As a matter of fact, I really think that the United States of America should declare today, September 7th, even though it's Labor Day, a day for Sonny Rollins. There should be a Sonny Rollins day. I firmly believe that because he is really an institution. With that in mind, of course, he is, uh, on a personal note, Sonny was one of my first real musical idols. And hearing Sonny Rollins on um, uh, some famous Miles Davis recordings done in 1951 when Sonny was basically a very young man, and just kind of starting out and starting to get a, a name for himself uh, locally around New York. Um, these recordings, I heard them when I was, um, even before I became a teenager. And I realized that there was something in his playing that really, really attracted me um, to to his music. And, and somehow Sonny Rollins led me away um, from from some of the music I had been listening to, even though I listen to it today and still respect it, he led me into the music of Charlie Parker, of Miles Davis, of Thelonious Monk, of Charles Mingus, and Art Blakey, and Clifford Brown, and all these people. So um, really, uh, and then in later years, I got to meet Sonny. I got to uh, interview him when I was working for the CBC um, I have uh, about five minutes preserved from that interview, but we actually talked, and unfortunately uh, that the rest of the interview is lost. But um, 
we um, I still have that that five minute clip that I I, uh, I really like and and keep and I played it on the show a couple of times. We're not going to hear it tonight, but um, we talked for three hours. It was it was uh, absolutely incredible, and Sonny inspired me in another way because during the interview I asked Sonny. Uh, if I was a heavy smoker at the time, and I asked Sonny if he minded if I smoked during the interview, and uh, he said, well, normally I, I, I don't. And I said, okay, well, I won't, and, and we can kind of stop, and I can leave the room, have a few puffs, and come back. He said, no, 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 I insist. He said, you do whatever makes you feel comfortable. I can deal with it. And so that's fine. So I smoked like a chimney and asked them all kinds of questions and listened to them and all that kind of stuff. But after the interview was over, he told me, he says, you know, I'd like to see you give that up. He said, I really would. And he said, I know how hard it is. He said, I gave up uh, my substance abuse with drugs and alcohol. And he said, giving up cigarettes was the hardest. But he said, I challenge you to do that. So 10 years later, I did. (laughs) So uh, I thank Sonny Rollins for that. Anyway, we've talked a lot about Sonny. The music that we're going to hear this evening, among other things in the show, but we're going to kick off with one of my very favorite Sonny Rollins albums. And it's really hard to pick a favorite album, but the reason I picked this one is because I know for a fact that Sonny Rollins hates recording. He hated the idea of recording. He hated being in the studio. He didn't mind live recording so much because he was dealing with the vibrations of an audience. But in the recording studio, he really didn't like it, and yet he made some great, great recordings in the studio. But he never felt really at home there. Some musicians do. Miles Davis loved the studio. Other musicians did. But Sonny, to this day hated the recording studio, but he realized the necessity of making records, obviously. And this particular recording, somehow all of Sonny's misgivings, and I know this for a fact, Sonny's misgivings were not there on this recording date because there was a spontaneous feeling throughout this whole date. It was very casual. It was done for Blue Note Records in September of 1957, um, they went into the studio, Sonny and, and the three other musicians went into the studio with no plans. Sonny had a bunch of music in his saxophone case, and he pulled it out. Um, they uh, had a few false starts on most of the tunes, but basically the tunes, once they were completed, they were done. And normally these, these recording sessions took a long time. They, they were all finished in a matter of about an hour and a half and created one of Sonny Rollins' finest albums. And we're going to hear that in the recording order of how they recorded the tunes. So that's it. The album is called Nuke's Time. And just one more little thing. Nuke is a nickname that Sonny Rollins got. (laughs) He had two nicknames, of course, Sonny being one of them, Nuke being the other. And the reason he was called Nuke, somebody, and I don't know who, I can't remember who, it was some friend that that said, when Sonny was a young man, said, hey, you know who you remind me of? The great baseball player, Don Newcomb. And somehow the name stuck, and that became Sonny's nickname, Nuke, after the baseball player, Don Newcomb. So there, there you go. All right, so this recording session was done for Blue Note Records, uh, very relaxed, and Sonny picked 
three of his favorite musicians. The first one was Wynton Kelly, a great pianist, who was also of West Indian descent. Wynton was uh, from Jamaica. And um, he just has that beautiful touch. He, of course, Wynton went on to play with Miles Davis. And on bass, one of the finest, who was on a couple of Sonny's earlier records, including his very famous saxophone Colossus album that he did for Prestige. The bassist is the young Detroit bassist Douglas Watkins, Doug Watkins on bass. And a drummer is one of the greatest of all modern jazz drummers, everybody's favorite Um, perhaps a little bit of a flawed personality, but when it comes to music, there's no flaws. And I'm talking about the great Philly Joe Jones, Joseph Rudolph Jones from Philadelphia. And uh, that's the rhythm section. And with musicians like that, how can you go wrong? And, of course, this day didn't go wrong. Um, It's absolutely uh, incredible that they recorded all these pieces just bang. And... That's about all I have to say. I'm sure you want to hear the music, and I do too. And so this is going to kick off our tribute to Sonny Rollins. The tunes that we're going to hear, the first one is was uh, attributed to Miles Davis, but actually it was written by a guy named Eddie Cleanhead Vinson, who was a blues singer and alto saxophonist. And Miles appropriated the tune, but the tune is called Tune Up. That's the opening tune. And that's a challenging tune to begin with. The second tune is a Kenny Dorham composition. Kenny Dorham, the great trumpeter who was our jazz feature artist last week, he wrote a tune called Asiatic Rays. And there was a lady of Kenny's acquaintance at the time uh, whose uh, first name was Ray. And she actually was um, half Asian. So the tune is named for her, Asiatic Rays. And then tune number three, they dispensed with the piano and the drum and, and, and the bass, and Philly Joe and Sonny Rollins do a version of Rogers and Hammerstein's The Surrey with a Fringe on Top. And just the two guys. And it's an amazing performance. Then we slow things down with a very pretty, almost a dance tempo ballad. Um a tune written by Johnny Mercer, and it's called Namely You. And the set ends with one of Sonny's most incredible blues performances. It simply explodes on the, uh, um, on the disc, and it shows his incredible um, powers of improvisation because his whole solo has a whole contour to it. And uh, the tune is called Blues for Philly Joe, dedicated to, of course, Philly Joe Jones. And that's the final tune of the date. Uh, They all packed up, happy, smiles, and went home. I asked Sonny himself about this date, and he's very, very self-critical, being a Virgo, extremely self-critical, doesn't like any any of his records. He always figured he could do better. Um, and, but he, he did mention, I, I said, well, what about Nuke's time, you know? And, and he said, well, he said, I guess that's pretty good record. <laughs> so that's his assessment of it. We're going to hear it right now and we're going to open. Um, and it's a great tune. Our, our first tune, our jazz feature artist, Mr. Sonny Rollins. And the composition is Tune Up. 
And that's it, our jazz feature this evening. A great album, and it is, <laughs> by Sonny Rollins, who is celebrating today his 85th birthday and uh, still alive and well. Um, a little frail, but uh, he really wants to, uh, he's, he's taken a little vacation from playing, but he really wants to get back. And uh, so he's waiting just to uh, straighten out a few things that, uh, you know, 85-year-olds have to uh, have to do with in terms of health and strength and endurance and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, this album was, um, I picked this of the many Rollins albums that he did. This is from his classic period. This is really um, a period when he, uh, he had finished his apprenticeship, really, uh, playing with Monk, Miles, and uh, and the great drummer Max Roach, especially Max, because he spent the longest time with Max Roach. And uh, by the time this was recorded, Sonny was out uh, on his own. He had his own career. He was uh, getting his own gigs um, and all all that kind of stuff. And, of course, he was at the uh, early peak of his playing power, as you can imagine, on this album. So um, the tunes that we heard were all in the order of... Um, when they were recorded on that particular day in September, September 22nd, 1957, at Rudy Van Gelder's studio. And as I said, the reason I picked this album is that Sonny hated recording. He, he, he literally hated the, the, uh, the process of getting into a studio with a group of musicians and, and making records. But, of course, he realized the necessity of that. And, uh, and he did, and managed even with his misgivings to make some great, great albums. But this particular album, he was happy, and he was happy to be in the studio. Something uh, clicked, the chemistry, and um, uh, as I said, it was right up Sonny's alley because there were no rehearsals uh, with these guys, even though he had played with all of them before, but there was no rehearsal, and they had no idea what they were going to play. They all went over in a cab to Rudy Van Gelder's studio across uh, through the bridge, and um, uh, Sonny decided what they were going to play right then and there and uh, went down and said, here's the routine, and uh, let's do it. Bang. Rudy, you ready? Record. And that's how this album went down. And unfortunately, the only uh, unfortunate part of this album is that they're, um, with the advent of CDs and, and uh, going into the archives of Blue Note, there were no um, alternate takes or um, unissued takes from this date. That's it. 34 minutes plus of uh, in, incredible music. And, of course, it was all done in about an hour and a half, and everybody left uh, happy. And as I mentioned before in, in talking to Sonny, he was, uh, uh, in his words, uh, fairly pleased with this album. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, that's Sonny's self-criticism and modesty. The people involved here, Sonny Rollins, of course, on tenor saxophone, uh, Winton Kelly, on piano, who was a, a fellow um, West Indian. Uh, Sonny Rollins was from a Caribbean background, as was Winton Kelly. And uh, on bass from Detroit, Douglas Watkins. Very, very fine bassist who died in 1962 as a result of a car accident. And uh, too bad we lost one of the great bass players in jazz. And, of course, on drums, the one and only incredible Philly Joe Jones. And um, the tunes we heard, we opened with a tune attributed to Miles Davis, um, written by Eddie Vinson, uh, and it was called Tune Up. 
That was a pretty challenging opener. Tough tune. Uh, the second tune was written by uh, Sonny's buddy, uh, trumpeter Kenny Dorham, and that was called Asiatic Rays. Um, tune number three, they decided to, it was just Philly Joe and Sonny doing a, a duet, drums and saxophone, on uh, a tune uh, written by Oscar Hammerstein and Richard Rogers entitled The Surrey with the Fringe on Top. Then after that, we heard um, kind of a danceable uh, version of an old standard tune by Johnny Mercer called Namely You. And then we followed that with a, a, a great tune that I didn't actually announce uh, in the preamble. I left it out for some reason. It, it was written um, by, who knows, uh, Edwards and Raleigh. But the tune was called Wonderful, Wonderful, and it was a huge, huge hit uh, for Johnny Mathis. And uh, Sonny picked it up and decided that he got the sheet music and decided he wanted to play it on this date. And that's what he did. And the final tune was the incredible blues called Blues for Philly Joe. And they just popped that off, and that was the, uh, that was the end of the record date. And Sonny's solo on uh, Blues for Philly, Philly Joe has been um, written out and is studied in a lot of jazz schools as an idea. Um, uh, Sonny was a master of thematic improvisation uh, in which he connected one idea to another and and built it in a very organic way. And uh, this solo has been studied backwards and forwards and sideways and every which way, his solo on the final tune, Blues for Philly Joe, and analyzed. Um, Sonny never did that. He said, you know, when you think, uh, you can't play music. You can't improvise when you think. He said, I've tried it. It doesn't work. So he said, you have to stop thinking, and then you can improvise. That's one of his philosophies. Very interesting. Anyway, uh, we hope you enjoyed our uh, small tribute to Theodore Walter Rollins, Sonny Rollins. And uh, we're going to be hearing more of Sonny's music later on in the program uh, from uh, different parts of his uh, career, including an incredible 30-minute performance done at the Village Gate in 1962, which has never been issued uh, until very, very recently uh, on a disc, recently discovered. And it's an incredible performance with an incredible band that Sonny Rollins had. And we're going to do that a little later on on this show. It's the most, some of the most amazing saxophone playing I have ever heard in my life. All right. With that, uh, I'd just like to tell you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or www.citr.ca, and we're out here at the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. My name is Gavin Walker, and of course this is The Jazz Show, the Labor Day edition. And uh, we're going to come back with uh, some different music by a band that I never liked I do now, but I, I, I always thought this was kind of, um, I don't know, kind of a, uh, it's hard to describe. Um, when they first, get, they were very, very popular, and I used to hear them on jazz programs on, on the radio, and I, uh, and I always turned up my nose at their music. Um, I didn't like it. Uh, I just thought it was kind of superficial, artsy-fartsy music, um, and uh, I don't think that way anymore. Uh, so we're going to hear some selections by this band. I'm, I'm not going to name it till after we hear 
these important messages, and then I'll come back with um, their music from the very first album they recorded. So uh, stay tuned. The Study and Go Abroad Fair is back on Tuesday, October 6th. Meet face-to-face with top universities from around the world and start planning to travel. Learn about degrees in law, medicine, health sciences, arts, technology, pharmacy, business, hotel management, and much more. Check out our Travel Zone for volunteering, language programs, adventure travel, and work abroad. For more info, visit studyandgoabroad.com. Free admission. CITR and AMS First Week present Live at Lunch. CITR's annual afternoon concert series to kick off the school year is back and set to rock the nest. Join us every weekday from 12 to 1 p.m. September 8th to 18th to hear performances from Aura Kogan, The Back Homes, Fake Tears, Ace Martins, Late Spring, At Sea, Melt, Still Creek Murder, and Shilpa Red. Eat your foodstuffs while you listen to our music stuffs. That's every weekday from 12 to 1 p.m. in the Next. All right, we're back, and this is uh, a band led by drummer Chico Hamilton, actually uh, one of the finest drummers around, and uh, Chico Hamilton was uh, played with everybody, Jerry Mulligan and uh, back in the day, and all kinds of people, and of course led his own band. He formed this band in 1955, and he wanted to form a different kind of a jazz band, and he certainly did uh, with with this group. Um, he picked somebody who I have the utmost respect for musically. He he grew up. He was one of Charles Mingus's best friends. And he was a most uh, accomplished musician. He was the first African-American musician to ever play in the, to get a regular job in the Hollywood studi- Studios orchestras um, because he was that accomplished. And he was a multi-instrumentalist. He played all the saxophones, uh, tenor, alto, baritone. Uh, he played great clarinet, and he played flute. And um, his name, Buddy Collette. So that's quite an addition, and I was always interested in hearing Buddy Collette, but I, I just didn't like, at the time, as I said before, I didn't like this context. But anyway, um, that's, that's cool. Um, on guitar, one of his first important gigs is guitarist Jim Hall. And um, on bass, a gentleman named Carson Smith. And on cello, yes, cello, Fred Katz. And, of course, Chico Hamilton on drums. This is the Chico Hamilton Quintet. And it's from their first recording sessions done in Los Angeles um, in Pacific Jazz Studios in August of 1955. And I love their music now. I think it's great. The the arrangements, um, the playing, uh, it's so disciplined and and so wonderful and so much fun. but as I said at the time when I was uh, a young guy and, and listening to all kinds of jazz, Chico Hamilton's quintet just went, for me, was like, uh, in, in, in the, use the old Jewish word, meh, who cares? You know, it just it, it didn't happen for me. Now it does, and I just love it. Anyway, we're going to hear some tunes. Uh, the first one is uh, actually written by Buddy Collette. 
and it's kind of a, uh, a piece of uh, exotica. And uh, I think, you know, now that uh, summer is winding down a little bit, this, this piece of music might remind you of Hawaii. And uh, it always does for me. And I think it's a very beautiful piece of music and features Buddy, Buddy's uh, sonorous flute. And the tune is called Blue Sands. And the second tune is a Fred Katz composition called The Sage. And the third tune, <laughs> that's the tune you should play after a, he- a night of heavy drinking. It's called The Morning After. And it was, it was written by Buddy Collette. Um, tune number six is a standard tune uh, written by Harold Arlen called I Want to Be Happy. And the final tune is a blues uh, dedicated to the bass player, Carson Smith. And it's called The Walkin' Carson Blues. So we started out start out the set with Blue Sands.
That was from the very first album by the Chico Hamilton Quintet. Now, most of the tracks were recorded in the uh, studio in Los Angeles, and uh, the last two were recorded during an engagement that the uh, band had at um, a place in Long Beach called the Strollers. 
and uh, the same band, of course. And uh, they were all put on Chico's very first album with this band. And, of course, they went on to make a a whole series of albums. As a matter of fact, uh, at the end of September, um, a jazz feature is going to be a later edition of the Chico Hamilton Quintet, one that I liked right off, but that came later in my life and uh, later in Chico Hamilton's life. Um, as I mentioned before, I didn't like this band uh, when I first heard it and used to kind of uh, ignore ignore it and wait for the good stuff. But uh, unfortunately, uh, um, my taste wasn't uh, <laughs> as developed as it might be now. Uh, I love this stuff. I think it's, I think it's great and, and beautiful playing, interesting little tunes. And sure, um, it's not going to hit you, uh, uh, you know, in the emotional center. It's not. Uh, it, it's. Uh, it's. It is lighter um, jazz music, but it's. It's still very, very musical and um, and fun to listen to as well. And and um, so I hope you enjoyed that little segment from the original Chico Hamilton Quintet. We heard the fabulous Buddy Collette on flute clarinet, and alto saxophone, especially on that last tune. His alto sound is a very beautiful, wonderful player. And as I mentioned before, Buddy was the um, very first African-American musician to be hired by the Hollywood studios uh, to play in the movie soundtracks. On guitar, doing his first important gig, was none other than Jim Hall. And on cello... Fred Katz, adding immensely to the sound of the group and the uniqueness of the group as well. And on bass, the wonderful Carson Smith, and of course the leader, the redoubtable Chico Hamilton on drums. So uh, the tunes we heard, um, we opened with uh, Buddy Collette's beautiful tune called Blue Sands, which uh, of course featured his flute. Then the second tune was a Fred Katz composition uh, called The Sage, and uh, then we heard a tune that, uh, yeah, you, you know, you, you play that after um, an evening of heavy drinking and after you wake up. It's called The Morning After, and, uh, and that was written by Buddy Collette. And then a standard tune, uh, I believe, written by Harold Arland. Yes, I think it was uh, a standard tune called I Want to Be Happy. And the final tune was uh, an original by the band. It was uh, simply a 12-bar blues, and it was called Walkin' Carson Blues, dedicated to the bassist. Carson Smith. So we hope you enjoyed that segment. Uh, as I mentioned before on the show, we're going to be playing a lot more Sonny Rollins, and we're going to get to that in a little while. But I'd like to play you two tracks that feature, as a matter of fact, he's the leader on the date, uh, by a gentleman named Ken McIntyre. Now, I always like Ken McIntyre's alto playing very much. And Ken was part of the that whole sort of, um, he, he's originally from Boston, and he was born today, September 7th, same day as Sonny Rollins. And so that's one of the reasons we're going to salute Ken McIntyre. But he was one of those um, alto saxophonists who came on the scene in the early 60s, obviously influenced to a certain extent by the innovations of Ornette Coleman. The other alto player on the date, and... Um, Many people said, wow, uh, what a contrast, was Eric Dolphy. And Eric Dolphy, of course, by that time was playing with Mingus, and he had moved to New York 
Uh, Eric had previously been with Chico Hamilton, as a matter of fact. That's how he got to New York. Eric was from Los Angeles. And, of course, he was uh, uh, was playing in Mingus's band when this was recorded. And Eric, of course, one of the uh, most individual voices of the alto saxophone. So these two um, innovators, and they are innovators, both of them, uh, are featured on, on this album, and it's an interesting contrast. The rhythm section is is basically really straight-ahead, guys. I'm talking about my old friend Walter Bishop Jr. on piano and Sam Jones on bass and the great New York drummer Arthur Taylor. So these two more out players on the alto saxophone with this straight-ahead rhythm section, it, it made for a very, very nice record. I've always enjoyed this record. It was recorded... Uh, on my younger brother's birthday, June the 28th, that's right, um, 1960. Well, he wasn't born in 1960, but uh, June 28th is uh, his birthday. So um, that's when this was done. And we're going to hear two Ken McIntyre tunes. So this is sort of a salute to Ken McIntyre. Um, for those of you that are not familiar, Eric Dolphy uh, is, is the more outgoing of the two uh, alto saxophonist and Ken McIntyre is is more uh, with a more softer sound and and um, I guess you could say a little more laid back approach um, but I love them both and I I always like Ken McIntyre's playing so um, that's it there's there's really that's all I can say to tell them apart uh, the tunes as I said are both by uh, Mr McIntyre the first tune is called Curtsy. And the second tune is called uh, Jill's Tune, G-E-O apostrophe S, I guess for a guy named George, and that's always short for George, Joe's Tune. So these two tunes and uh, a small tribute to um, the alto saxophone mastery of um, Ken McIntyre, who later went on to uh, actually uh, Africanize his name. He referred to himself as Makanda Ken McIntyre, and he spent the uh, um, a lot of the rest of his career after the 60s um, teaching music. And um, he became a very, very, he became a professor. He was a very, very well-educated man. So, all right, from this album called Looking Ahead, Ken McIntyre and Eric Dolphy.
That's a small tribute to Ken McIntyre, wonderful alto saxophonist, teacher, also a um, great flute player, bass clarinet player. And uh, he has, um, for years, kind of uh, operated uh, under the radar. But this was one of his early, um, as a matter of fact, this was his um, introduction to the New York uh, recording scene. Uh, Prestige gave him this album. And they pitted him with Eric Dolphy. <laughs> so, um, but it was an interesting contrast in the two styles. Dolphy, of course, being the more outgoing of the two, um, with a much more kind of a harder sound. And and uh, McIntyre's a little more um, uh, softer sound, uh, and yet uh, equally adventurous approach uh, to the alto saxophone. So it was good to have that that two contrasts. Uh, there's other tunes on the album where McIntyre plays flutes and Dolphy plays bass clarinet, but I wanted to give you the two tunes um, where the two altos are playing. And uh, the rhythm section, of course, is a uh, straight-ahead kind of rhythm section. Walter Bishop Jr. at the piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Arthur Taylor on drums, recorded in June of 1960. And the album is called Looking Ahead. Ken McIntyre with Eric Dolphy came out on a prestige date. The two tunes we heard were by uh, Mr. McIntyre, and uh, the first one was called Curtsy, and the second one was called Joe's Tune. And, um, yeah, some interesting uh, compositional work and ensemble work by the two altos on there. A small tribute to uh, a gentleman who became known as Makanda Ken McIntyre, um, spent most of his later life after uh, the 60s um, teaching, um, and he did record um, a number of albums for the uh, Steeplechase label over in, uh, over in Europe, so, but uh, a great teacher and uh, a, um, a very fine and uh, serious and very, very well-educated musical personality, Maconda Ken McIntyre, born the same day as Sonny Rollins, uh, September 7th, so a little birthday tribute to Mr. McIntyre. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or um, on your computer, www.citr.ca. And uh, we have uh, a little bit of information to pass on to you. I'd like to uh, inform you of uh, two uh, very fine websites. Uh, One of them is the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society website which is, uh, of course, um, coastaljazz.ca. And they have lots of things coming up this fall. And, of course, they produce the Vancouver International Jazz Festival. Their website is very comprehensive and um, worth going to and, and checking out. So do, um, do follow that through. That's coastaljazz.ca. And the other website that I always talk about is put together by my good friend Brian Nation, who is uh, recovering still from a a fairly serious health setback, but he's doing fine, and uh, he's uh, becoming a a vital force in in Vancouver jazz once again, Brian Nation. And his um, uh, website, of course, is uh, vancouverjazz.com, and that's an extremely a comprehensive website, and uh, Mr. Nation uh, makes every attempt to keep it up to date. And uh, it's it's an interesting website. You can find out about a, a lot of the uh, resident personalities, the biographies on there, 
uh, podcasts. All our podcasts are on there. You just have to scroll down the homepage and, and you'll see Gavin Walker, The Jazz Show. So anything you missed or wanted to hear, um, you can always uh, punch it in and, uh, and, and check out the podcast. So uh, that's a couple of the many things that are on that uh, website. So that's VancouverJazz.com. That's a good one. And the um, just one final mention of my very good friend, Ken Speller. Ken is a wonderful music teacher, and uh, he uh, has a, a business called Music at Home, and he comes to your uh, residence and, uh, and teaches you how to play the saxophone and the flute and the clarinet, and uh, he's an extremely well-trained musician and uh, a very, very good teacher and uh, imparts a lot of uh, very important knowledge. And if you want um, uh, private lessons uh, on any of those instruments, Ken Speller's the guy to call. But another thing that he does, um, he's a, a multi-talented uh, human being, he repairs those instruments. And uh, saxophones, flutes, and clarinets always need tweaking, repairing, sometimes a complete overhaul. And uh, Ken is the guy to do it. Um, he lives and has his... Uh, repair shop right in his home so that he keeps his prices to a very, very reasonable level. He knows the economic situation of most musicians or students, and uh, he's he's sympathetic toward that, and he does not in any way, shape, or form overcharge um, for his services, whether he's teaching or whether he's repairing your instrument as well. So he's a guy to uh, get to know. Uh, he's located in North Vancouver, 13th and Lonsdale area. And his phone number is 778-800-1933. 778-800-1933. Or you can reach him via email, which is kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, all one word, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Good guy to know. All right. One more brief message here, and uh, we'll get back to some music and return to the great Sonny Rollins from an album that's always been a favorite of mine. But first... got some weather for you. Uh, all right. There's been a little bit of a change in the weather, of course. Uh, you know, with Labor Day um, almost over, you know, people are saying, well, this is kind of the unofficial end of summer. But uh, I don't think so. I think summer's going to come back. We're going to get that uh, what they call Indian summer. Or maybe these days we should be politically correct and refer to it as First Nations summer. Anyway, whatever. Or, you know, maybe Indian summer, uh, if you're thinking of, um, say, East Indians, is because it's pretty hot over there. 
All right. Anyway, regardless, um, tonight is increasing cloud, uh, as we may have gathered, and rain is going to start later in the evening. It's going to go down to 13. Then tomorrow, rain is going to end in the morning. Then cloudy, with a 30% chance of a shower throughout the day. So that's a low of 13 and a high of 17. Then Wednesday is uh, um, going to be a transition day, and that's a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 15 and a high of 20. Then Thursday is back to sunshine. And actually, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday is going to be, all the days are going to be sunny, with lows between 12 or 13 and highs between 21 and 25. So there you go. It's going to be a bit of a return of uh, summer at the end of the week. And, of course, uh, everybody will be uh, uh, back to school. And uh, if once the weather turns uh, like that, everybody's going to want to head on out again. But uh, they're going to have to stay in their classes. Hmm. I know. We all, I think we all went through that. All right. We're going to return to Sonny Rollins now. This is um, from a slightly later period. This is 1964, and uh, Rollins was playing uh, incredibly fine. He did this album called Now's the Time. And uh, Sonny, of course, uh, as I mentioned before, Sonny didn't like recording. Um, and he was asked by the producer uh, of the date, uh, George Vakian, who, who Sonny did respect a lot, um, uh, to um, keep the tunes short. Now, Sonny wasn't really prone to do that because he liked to stretch out. He liked to experiment and do all this kind of stuff. Uh, but George said it would be a nice idea to do an album of tunes that were um, fairly short and, um, and, and concise. And, and uh, Sonny thought about that. And George said, now, don't do this until you're mentally ready to do it, if you want to do this. And Sonny finally acquiesced and said, yeah, I'm ready to do this. Sure, I can do this. And so there you go. He did. And uh, we're going to hear uh, some examples uh, from here. We're going to hear four tunes. First one is a Charlie Parker original, a very famous tune that Charlie Parker wrote called Now's the Time. And Sonny's playing on this. is just marvelous. It's a straight-ahead blues, of course. The second tune we're going to hear um, is just with bass and drums, and I'll tell you who they are in a minute. Uh, that's Sonny's, one of his most famous compositions, and it's called St. Thomas. Great version of it. And um, then tune number three is one of... Uh, everybody's favorites, and the most famous composition that Thelonious Monk ever wrote, Round Midnight, and that's the ballad. And the final tune is a short version uh, of a tune written by pianist John Lewis, and it's called Afternoon in Paris. On three of the tunes, except St. Thomas, where he does not play, the pianist is none other than Herbie Hancock. On bass is Ron Carter, and on drums is... Um, someone I like very much as a friend and also as, as a musician. Extremely fine drummer, Roy McCurdy. So we're going to hear four tunes from this album, which uh, was released on RCA Victor, called Now's the Time. And so here's the title track. 
That's from an album called Now's the Time and our continuing tribute to the great Sonny Rollins. 85 years old today. And I uh, hope that uh, he, I know that he practices three hours a day without fail. And um, even though he's 85, he needs to uh, rest a little more, but he does want to continue to tour and, uh, and play uh, publicly as well. And we hope that we can hear. Uh, Sonny Rollins uh, once again. All right, 85 years old, and one of the great voices of the tenor saxophone. As you heard, this album, as I mentioned before, was uh, produced by George Avakian, and he discussed it with Sonny and said, I'd like you to do an album of of relatively short tunes, um, and when you feel ready to do this, uh, let me know. And if you don't feel ready to do it, then we won't do it, because... um, Sonny um, was not a, a person to sort of do an album of, of sh- little short tunes and uh, uh, unless he really felt like it. Anyhow, they tried to make him as feel, feel as comfortable as possible, and he really delivered on, on these performances. And it came out on an album called Now's the Time and was issued on RCA Victor Records and recorded in February of 1964. The people involved here, Herbie Hancock, is on three of the four tunes we heard. Uh, Ron Carter is on bass, and the great Roy McCurdy on drums. And the first tune was Charlie Parker's famous blues called Now's the Time. And the second tune was without Herbie Hancock, just uh, with Carter and McCurdy. And we heard a wonderful updated version of Sonny Rollins' most famous composition, St. Thomas. Then um, tune number three, Herbie Hancock returned, and we heard Round Midnight, Thelonious Monk's most famous, a very touching version of that tune. 
And the final tune uh, was a wonderful composition, an airy kind of a a happy-sounding piece by pianist John Lewis, and that was called Afternoon in Paris. Sonny Rollins. Now, we haven't finished with, uh, there's going to be more Sonny Rollins on the, on the show um, in a little while, but uh, I'm going to play one more from a, an album that was recorded the following year and came out on um, Impulse Records. And uh, there are some astounding moments on this album. Uh, Sonny Rollins did um, three albums for Impulse, and this was the first one. Uh, the second one was the soundtrack that he wrote for the famous Michael Caine movie, Alfie. That is a great album. And the um, third and final album was the uh, the very adventurous East Broadway rundown. And um, those three albums came out on Impulse Records. And then Rollins didn't record um, in North America again until 1972. Uh, he did play, did uh, uh, some tours, and then he went off to uh, India and Japan to uh, uh, on another one of his sabbaticals. Anyway, uh, regardless of that, 1965 was a very productive year, and this this is a great record, and this is one of the highlights of this album. Uh, Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone and great Ray Bryant on piano. Walter Booker on bass, and Mickey Roker on drums. And, of course, Brian and Roker are both from Philadelphia. And Walter Booker, of course, uh, became the bassist with um, Cannonball Adderley's band. Just a fine musician. Great rhythm section. The tune is written by Harry Ruby, and it was a tune that um, uh, Lester Young, the great Lester Young, one of Sonny Rollins' uh, idols, uh, recorded and played a lot. And Sonny picked it out. The tune is called Three Little Words. And for me, it's the highlight of this album. The album came out and was called Sonny Rollins on Impulse. Thank <laughs> you. 
Sonny Rollins from an album called On Impulse. And that tune was by Harry Ruby in Old Standard. Sonny just uh, absolutely takes apart and just uh, just unbelievable playing with his... Um, he carried two saxophones in those days. One was a Selmer Mark VI um, with um, a mouthpiece, uh, um, a hard rubber mouthpiece, as a matter of fact, and uh, for those of you that are interested in that sort of thing. And the other one was a Buescher Aristocrat, which he played on this track, uh, which had an Autolink metal mouthpiece. And uh, I remember listening to the album, and uh, all the there's only five tunes on the album. And when it came to this one, I, th- I thought, gee, you know, his sound is slightly different on this one, and uh, this is where he picked up his uh, Buescher and, and played. The other tracks are played on the Selmer um, with a, a different mouthpiece, and of course uh, it has a different uh, tonal quality. It's still Sonny Rollins, of course, but uh, that's, uh, that was what he was doing at that time. He, he used two saxophones and used to inter- interchange them, um, whichever he, he felt like doing. So uh, anyway, for those of you that are interested in that sort of thing, that's what's happened. That's what happened on that track. The accompanists were so great. Uh, Mickey Roker on drums, Walter Booker on bass, and Ray Bryant on piano. Three little words. I think the highlight track from this uh, album, um, his first of three for the Impulse label, and this was called uh, Sonny Rollins on Impulse, the title of the album. All right, we'll be back uh, after a couple of brief messages with uh, uh, a different lead instrument this time, the cornet, played by uh, somebody that you all should be familiar with. Just like to remind you that um, my name is Gavin Walker. This is The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 on right out here at UBC on unceded Musqueam territory, and we're also on the web. Uh, www.citr.ca and we'll be back right after these. The 13th annual Vancouver Latin American Film Festival lasts from September 3rd to September 13th. The festival is bringing more than 50 films from 14 different countries to Vancouver. This year, Mexico is the festival's guest country, and a special selection of Mexican films will be presented at the event. Don't miss being a part of the largest Latin American film festival in Canada. For more information, visit vlaff.org. 
Whoever said money can't buy you friends obviously wasn't a member at CITR. When you become a member, you get the Friends of CITR card with incredible discounts in the Main Street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, RX Comics, Red Cat Records, the Regional Assembly of Text, the Wallflower Modern Diner, and Woo Vintage Clothing. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus or go online to CITR.ca. Cannonball Adderley's brother, Nat, was always perennially uh, underrated uh, as, a, as a trumpet player. He was overshadowed, of course, by the great Cannonball. Um, but he, he, that, he never let that bother him. And uh, uh, he recorded a number of wonderful albums under his own name, away from the uh, Cannonball Adderley group. And one of the albums that I've always liked is... Um, this album that he that Nat did with the three sounds. And, of course, Nat was a cornet player, and the cornet is a smaller, sharper-sounding uh, trumpet. And uh, that's Nat specialized uh, at that. So we're going to hear Nat with a band called the Three Sounds. And the Three Sounds were an organized trio led by the virtuoso pianist Gene Harris, uh, Andrew Simpkins on bass, and Bill Dowdy on drums. And this was uh, from an album called Branchin' Out, which was recorded for Riverside at the tail end of 1958. So we're going to hear um, two tunes. We're going to hear one by Nat called Sister Caroline, and the second tune is a great Duke Ellington tune called Don't Get Around Much Anymore. So here then is cornetist and brother of Cannonball Adderley, the redoubtable Nathaniel Adderley, Nat Adderley.
how could I forget to mention Johnny Griffin <laughs> on the first tune? Uh, but I did. Anyway, um, that, of course, was Nat Adderley on cornet, uh, playing with the, uh, a band called The Three Sounds, great rhythm section, Gene Harris on piano, Andrew Simpkins on bass, and Bill Dowdy on drums. And on the first tune, uh, Nat was joined by Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone, the little giant. And uh, we heard a tune by Nat called Sister Caroline. That was his own composition. And the second tune was just a, a, a quartet version without Johnny Griffin, and that was the Duke Ellington tune, Don't Get Around Much Anymore, and uh, Nat in fine form. Two tracks from this uh, album called Branching Out, uh, which came out on Riverside Records, and it was recorded at the tail end of uh, 1958. A wonderful album, worth looking for if you don't have it. I did promise this incredible version. Uh, this is some of the most amazing saxophone playing I have ever heard. We're going to take you back to the Village Gate in New York City, July 28, 1962. This was one of the most adventurous bands ever led by Sonny Rollins. And he used to, uh, when he announced the personnel in the band, he used to say, I stole these guys from Ornette Coleman's band because on trumpet was Don Cherry, and on drums was Billy Higgins. And, of course, they both were associated with Ornette Coleman, who had uh, moved to New York. And on bass, Bob Cranshaw. Now, this was a relatively short-lived band. They, they were formed in, um, around this time in uh, the summer of 1962, and then they went on a European tour uh, in early 1963, and there's some amazing records from over there that have been issued from concert performances. And um, after the European tour, then uh, Rollins moved on to, uh, to different things and actually disbanded and uh, went on to uh, other aspects of his career. But this is considered one of the most uh, adventurous bands that Sonny ever led. Now, only one album was commercially issued, plus a couple of tracks later on um, uh, in the studio, but only one live album was ever issued um, on a major label by this band. And that was a, an album called Our Man in Jazz. And it was given a kind of a lukewarm reception because people were not used to hearing the kind of uh, musical freedom that this band had and uh, were a little, uh, little freaked out. There was a lot of free improv in the band and interplay and, and stuff, and sometimes um, whole sets would be totally improvised with no particular theme. They'd just be playing off one another, this kind of thing, and, and club audiences were not quite used to that kind of total freedom, and, and they weren't used to Sonny Rollins doing that. But that's what he was into at the time, and this was a great period in his career, very creative, and uh, shows what a, a, a range that uh, Sonny Rollins had. So anyway, this al uh, there was an album called Our Man in Jazz, and it was issued on RCA Victor because Rollins was contracted to that label, and there were only three tunes on the album. All of them were edited. It's a, it's a wonderful album. But it, uh, it, it only got three stars in Downbeat with kind of a cautious review. 
and that sort of thing. But uh, it was a well-loved album because it showed Sonny in a, a different way. However, more things were recorded from this, and they have only recently been released. All the tapes from all of the nights at the Village Gate have now been released on a six-CD set, the complete live Village Gate 1962 set, Sonny Rollins Quartet with Don Cherry. And this version of Olio uh, has never come out on a commercial album, and we're going to listen to it right now. So here then, Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone with Don Cherry on cornet, uh, trumpet, I mean, and uh, Bob Cranshaw on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. This is absolutely phenomenal. Here is Sonny Rollins' famous up-tempo composition called Olio. Thank you. 
An absolutely epic performance by Sonny Rollins with Don Cherry on trumpet, Bob Crenshaw on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. And this was a a piece of music that uh, was never issued until recently uh, on this set called the uh, Complete Village Gate Sessions. Uh, Only three tunes were ever issued on RCA Victor. Uh, from these uh, sessions uh, on an album called Our Man and Jazz. And um, this uh, six-CD set is all the things that were recorded and uh, and not issued. Um, And this amazing version of uh, Sonny Rollins' Olio is uh, absolutely out of sight, as they say, or used to say, with uh, some of the most uh, amazing playing by uh, Mr. Rollins and uh, and company. So we hope you enjoyed that extended version of uh, Sonny's most, uh, one of his most famous compositions, Olio. So because this is, has been a Sonny Rollins show, we're going to close with Sonny Rollins, but before we do that, we'd like to tell you that uh, next week's jazz feature and the one after is our usual and traditional back-to-school um, features. And uh, we're going to do next week uh, the famous uh, What is Jazz, uh, narrated by Leonard Bernstein and uh, featuring all kinds of artists in um, musical examples. And then he's going to explain what what is going on and really explain in a very lucid manner what is jazz and what isn't jazz. And even though it was recorded back in the 50s, this stuff is still very relevant because it still um, really is very meaningful to um, any music that purports to be jazz today, even though things have uh, 
completely changed. There's lots of new additions to jazz. Jazz is still jazz. And uh, this is a very good recording and very educational as well. And the following week, we're going to do uh, Cannonball Adderley, Julian Adderley's uh, History of Jazz, which uh, takes us from the beginning and up to about 1960. But it's still very relevant because it gives you a historical perspective of, uh, of the music. And, of course, uh, music has gone on to the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and uh, beyond, way beyond. So, but it's still very relevant. So though, for the next two weeks will be our uh, kind of back-to-school jazz educational jazz features. So next week will be um, Maestro Leonard Bernstein doing What is Jazz? And if you've never heard this before, it's really, really interesting and very educational as well. Okay, we're going to conclude the evening with, once again, Sonny Rollins. And uh, this is a performance with just uh, a trio. And on bass is, once again, Bob Cranshaw, and on drums, Roy McCurdy. And this is a tune which has been um, purported to be composed by Miles Davis. He always gets credit for it, but he didn't really write the tune. It was written by uh, Eddie Cleanhead Vinson, the uh, blues alto saxophonist singer. Anyway, he wrote a couple of great tunes, and this is one of them. But somehow Miles Davis appropriated the um, the credits for it, and he always seems to get credit for the tune. Strange, but uh, that's what happens sometimes. Miles was a little bit notorious for that uh, for that kind of stuff for various reasons. Anyway, regardless, it's one of Sonny Rollins' favorite uh, patterns to improvise on, and he really takes care of business on this tune. So. Uh, this is the tune called Four. Once again, Sonny Rollins, tenor saxophone, the gentleman we're honored tonight, who celebrated on September 7th his 85th birthday. On bass, Bob Cranshaw, and on drums, Ray McCurdy. Four. Thank you. 
Sonny really didn't want the tune to end, but uh, it uh, did, and so is the end of this evening's show, dedicated really to the musical influence and um, influence as a human being of the great Sonny Rollins. And uh, that last tune was called Four, uh, one of Rollins' favorite tunes to improvise on. And we heard Sonny with Bob Cranshaw on bass and Roy McCurdy on drums doing that tune. And uh, that's, that's it for the jazz show this week. And we shall return in seven days. We'd like to thank you very much, those of you that have stayed with us the whole show. And um, hope that uh, you will come back next week for our, the beginning of our two um, back-to-school kind of uh, uh, shows with um, Maestro Leonard Bernstein doing What is Jazz, and the uh, following week, Julian Cannonball Adderley narrating um, a jazz history. 
So the, that is uh, what we do traditionally every September to celebrate the back-to-school, back-to-work kind of idea. So that's what we're going to do for the next two weeks. So we hope you can join us. Thank you very much once again on behalf of myself, Gavin Walker, and, of course, CITR, located at UBC on unceded Musqueam territory. And, of course, we're also on the web, www.citr.ca. Take care, and we'll see you in seven days' time. Bye-bye. Thank you.